Welcome, everybody. It's time once again for another episode of SLMA Radio. It has to do with sales lead management or sales lead marketing. It probably starts here with the SLMA Radio Show. SLMA Radio is a revolving series of programs brought to you by the Sales Lead Management Association. This week's program is Revenue Rebels. Brought to you by Demand Lab. Sponsor the program with their host, the CEO of Demand Lab, Roan Morgan. Hey, Roan. Listeners, welcome back to another episode of Revenue Rebels, the podcast highlighting marketing and sales leaders who are breaking rules and pushing boundaries to grow their companies. Today, I'm really excited to have on our show a guest who is working with a lot of different companies, a lot of different groups on achieving something called brand invincibility, which I just think is incredibly smart way of talking about this. And I'm really excited to welcome an expert in the field, Melissa Agnes. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So to give a brief introduction to the listeners, Melissa, I'm just going to share a little bit of background. Melissa is a leading authority on crisis preparedness, reputation management, and brand protection. So she's an advisor and a keynote speaker. She helps companies understand risk and how they can build invincible brands, brands that can withstand even the most devastating of events. And we know that those certainly are not few and far between. We hear about those in the news practically daily these days. So I'm excited to learn a lot more from you, Melissa, on how to do that. Also, as a note to the listeners, and one of my early introductions to Melissa's work was her TEDx talk. And we will leave a link to that talk in our show notes and the transcripts when we get this posted on our website. Melissa, to get started, during our first conversation, I was really impressed when I heard about how you got started and the passion you have around this. I know you've been doing this for, I think, about 10 years. Can you briefly share your story with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. It's so funny to think 10 years. I feel like I'm not old enough to (laughs) say that, (laughs) which probably people would look at me and say, that's probably true. So it started about 10 years. So I've been an entrepreneur actually since I was 21 and which was for the record, more years than 10 years ago. (laughs) And about 10 years ago, my partner at the time and I, we were doing digital brand strategies. So it was right at the time where people were getting on the whole social media bandwagon and companies are saying, yes, yes, social media, what a wonderful tool. And the way that my brain just happens to work, the way that I'm wired is I see risk everywhere. I see mitigation strategies for those risks. And then I see opportunity through the mitigation. And I think that that's the biggest differentiator of mine Mm -hmm. in my marketplace. And so I remember the morning I was doing, you know, just catching up on my morning reading and reading the news and whatever I was doing. And it just struck me that why is nobody talking about the risk, the risk of social, the risk of digital, the risk of mobile, the risk of real-time communication, which was becoming a phenomenon, a new thing, mainstream 
the risk of all of the expectations that are amounting from all of these realities by stakeholders and what that means for brands. And then my brain went to the risks are so easy to mitigate. And then, oh my goodness, the opportunity, once you get to that level of mitigation is unprecedented. And so it illuminated something within me and I, it's, it spoke to the way that I'm wired. So I spent about a year devouring everything that I could on the topic of crisis management, because up until that point in time, I didn't know that it was a thing. And I remember I kept telling my partner at the time, I kept turning to him and saying, there's something here. I just, I don't know quite what it is yet. And then the day that I realized what it was, we had just launched the website for one of our clients, which was a public company, real estate investment trust. So invest in real estate, their primary stakeholders are their investors. And we had just launched their website. One very early morning, the VP calls me in a panic saying, our president is in the car with a prospective investor, a massive prospective investor. The media on the radio is reporting that one of our buildings is about to explode. We're being named left, right, and center. Investors mm -hmm. are calling in left, right, and center. Apparently, the rumor started on Twitter. We have no idea what Twitter is, but we're told it's a digital thing. And since you just launched our website, we're hoping you can help us. <laughs> wow. And <laughs> yeah. And like a panic, right? So within, I went in within a half an hour, I had the media correcting themselves and reporting on those corrections. I had the information funneling to stakeholders, to their investors who were not on Twitter at the time. So we needed to work around that. Long story short, the next day, the president of the company calls me to say, not only did our unit price, so their stock price not go down since yesterday, but it actually went up by a cent. So thank you so much. Mm -hmm. And that was my Oh my goodness, I can serve. Like this is, this is my calling. This is what I can do. This is what I have to offer. And this is so, so, so invaluable. And I remember too thinking that nobody is talking about this and that's not okay. So young entrepreneur didn't really know how to position myself or market myself in a new world, in a world where people weren't even talking about it. And you know, like, how do you do that? So what I did was I just started a blog and I dedicated myself to blogging five days a week. I did that for several years. Mine was the first blog in the world of its kind that only addressed this stuff, but addressed the, the new world you know, the new ways of the world, not just old and right place, right time, right natural aptitude. I had a whole bunch of longstanding, brilliant crisis management professionals that were reading my work and reading, you know, I was posing questions. I was providing solutions to those questions. I was advocating for everything that I advocate through crisis readiness. And they came and they said, we don't know if this whole thing is a fad or a trend. We don't know how long it's going to last. We don't necessarily want to learn it, but we're smart enough to know that our clients need this now. So can we partner? I got incredible mentors that showed me a lot, opened up their client list to me and, and I grew my experience and I grew my business from there. Got it. That is a fantastic launch story. Um, <laughs> I think it's uh, it's also something that's interesting here is that you were really at the cusp of this new media, right? And I remember 10 years ago, 11, 12 years ago, being on the other side where we were managing social media for a company. This is pre-demand lab days when I was an employee somewhere. And it was like, well, what are we supposed to put on here? What's going to happen? How do, how are people going to respond to something that we put on these new platforms? So it was a really difficult time. And there was a lot of questions and a lot of unknowns. Um, obviously it stuck, it grew and expanded and probably also expanded opportunity for 
crisis, right? Um, so it sounds like your perspective is also to get ahead of that, having watched the TEDx talk and spoken to you in greater detail about that recently. How can we ensure that, you know, a crisis will happen? It's it, something will come up. But the point is to find the opportunity within the mitigation, but that mitigation is not happening just only in the moment. It actually is happening far ahead of anything ever happening. Can you talk a little bit about when you're working with clients and how you work to get ahead of crisis and sort of establish the relationship with your clients' audiences or just in terms of how you advise in groups. I know you do a lot of speaking. So tell us a little bit about getting ahead of this. Yeah, absolutely. So the whole thing, and and I'm launching something massive actually in 2020 to launch this forward because one of my grievances right now within my industry is best practice is still regarded as having quote unquote crisis management plan that sits on a shelf. And that plan does little to nothing to actually serve the organization and its people when they need it the most. Uh, reason being that by the time you reach for that plan, because an incident is, is unfolding, you're playing catch up. Like things, mm -hmm. expectations, demands, national, international headlines, et cetera, start at minute 0.1 today. And so by the time you're reaching for that plan, it's past 0.1. You're already behind. And so the work that I do that I'm so passionate about is I help organizations become what I call crisis ready. And crisis readiness is cultural. It means a couple things. It means that you have a culture of an organization that has prevented and continuously prevents the preventable risk. Because if you can prevent it, it shouldn't happen. And if it does happen, those that you've built trust with, that trust will depreciate because it shouldn't have happened and you let it happen, right? So that's first and foremost. And then from there, we also know that not all risk is entirely preventable. Bad things happen to great companies. And so in those moments, if you don't want to be dependent on a stagnant plan that puts you behind, then you really need to have what I call a crisis-ready culture, which means that you have an entire organization, every single member of every single department in every single region, across every single business unit, knows precisely and is empowered to know three things. They know what risk looks like, so they're able to identify and detect it in real time, giving you the head start. If expectations start at minute 0.1, then you want to catch it at minute, hopefully at minute negative zero, right? And give yourself right. that head start. They know how to assess its material impact on the organization. So that means assessing what the scale of the impact is. So is it an issue? Because an issue can go viral today and not be a crisis, but feel like a crisis. So what they've detected, have they detected an issue? Have they detected a crisis? What are the thresholds for determining that escalation and that de-escalation? And then just so they're able to detect and assess properly, which is so important. And then from there, everybody knows exactly what to do to not just put the incident to bed, but to come out of any negative event with increased trust and credibility in your organization. So instead of a depreciation of um, brand equity, you're actually building upon your brand equity. Because when you're put to the test and you meet expectations and you do what's right by the people you serve, people will forgive the mistake because of the intention behind it. And you've done everything right with regards to those intentions and very transparently and proactively. And so therefore you're coming out of it with increased brand equity. That is the whole purpose and the whole goal of the work that I do with my clients. Something that you talked about, I think the last time we were talking, kind of makes me think of building up. To me, it was an idea of a love bank in a way, sort of the 
the relationship building that happens where you're developing the trust before anything happens. And I think especially around preventable risk, people are very aware of what are the risks that they're taking on, even, for example, by sharing their data. And, you know, we all know what those risks are, or most of them now, but oftentimes, especially in the past, I think a lot of these things caught us by surprise. We need to take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about some examples and how you would advise folks that you work with now, or, you know, perhaps even talk about some of the tactics that have been implemented or maybe should have been implemented with some of the examples. Absolutely. Cool. So let's take a quick break. We're going to learn a little bit more about Demand Lab and, and how we help companies communicate with their audiences in authentic and engaging ways. Hopefully that actually helps to build some of that trust and the brand equity needed in a crisis, right? Stay tuned. We'll be right back with our guest, Melissa. And let's take a moment just to tell you that Demand Lab helps organizations just like yours transform their revenue potential by connecting their greatest assets, people, processes, technology, and data through customized revenue ecosystem solutions. By leveraging marketing technology, data science, governments, and analytics, along with content, Demand Lab helps B2B organizations like yours advance business goals and drive revenue. Type in demandlab.com. That's demandlab.com. And now back to second half of our show. Thanks, Paul. Okay, we are back with crisis management strategist, Melissa Agnes, to continue the conversation on how to build brand invincibility. So you were talking earlier before we went to break on the three things that companies need to know and be prepared for and how it's sort of infused throughout the organization. Can you share some examples with us around a couple of crises that you have personally worked on or have seen maybe even unfold in front of you and thought, oh, maybe there was an alternative way to have worked on this. We'd love to hear some stories around this. One of the stories that I love that I watched unfold now, now nearly two years ago, I can't believe that, wow, <laughs> was the This Is Us and Crockpot story. Do you remember that one? No, I do not. Okay. So This Is Us, are you familiar with the show This Is Us? I am. I haven't watched it as much as everybody says that I should. But. <laughs> oh, I haven't watched any of it. Uh, the only thing I've watched is a five-minute yeah. segment because of this very story that I'm about to share. And I didn't know of its existence before this happened. But This Is Us is one of the hottest television shows in primetime. It's got something like 15.6 million viewers a year. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those beautiful pieces of storytelling that captivates its audience. And in a world where people, families struggle to sit down and have a meal together. They manage to somehow sit down once a week and watch this show together, which is a beautiful thing. And so oh, after about two years of the show, they where, where audience members knew that the patriarch of the family, Jack Pearson, was going to, or that he died, they just didn't know how. So in early 2018, we are 2019, yeah, 2018, mm -hmm. they finally revealed that story. And the story is this beautiful piece of storytelling, emotionally compelling, where you're watching Jack clean the kitchen at night and he's putting everything to get to bed or putting everything away to go to bed. And you get some flashbacks on some family stories and all that. And then he flips off a generic slow cooker, not a crockpot machine, mm -hmm. a generic slow cooker, and he goes to bed. And that generic slow cooker was old and faulty and it sh 
short circuits and it sets flames to the house. And Jack dies of smoke inhalation. Now, the next morning after the show aired, Crockpot, who was not a part of this fictitious television show, wakes up to a frenzy of generational customers all threatening to throw out their crockpot machines and never buy or use the brand again. And it's not just social media. It's being reported on on national news. I was back in Canada at this time. I was hearing about it there and everybody was paying me, Melissa, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? Stephen Colbert talked about it in his monologue Mm -hmm. that evening. So this garnered national attention for a situation that was entirely fictitious that had never happened in the history of Crockpot. Never in the history of Crockpot has one of their machines short-circuited, set flames to a house, and killed one of their customers or a family Mm -hmm. member. And yet... This is what was happening. And I love this story because, you know, issue versus crisis. I said earlier that an issue can go viral and not amount to crisis level. A lot of brands would have looked at this and thought, oh my God, this is ridiculous. This is ridiculous. This has never happened before. This was a fictitious television show. It's not even a crockpot machine. It's a generic slow cooker. Get a grip, everybody, right? That would have been a very common response for a lot of professionals to look at this from a logical perspective. But if we go to the why that this was happening and really detected, assess its material impact, was this an issue truly or was this truly a potential crisis? The answer lies in and why this happened in the first place. So what happened was families around the country were sitting at home watching this beloved television show, bawling their eyes out because this character that they love dies and are so emotionally enthralled in the show because it's such a beautiful piece or form of storytelling. This story is so well-crafted. The the show itself is so well-crafted, so well-produced. And all of a sudden, their brains go to, oh my goodness, I have a crockpot machine. I don't want my family to die. And now this becomes very, very real for them. This emotion is now made real to the protection, that security, that fear, which is an intrinsic core emotion that they don't want their families to die. So if we fast forward to the long-term material impact on this, the risk, the real risk is because of how deep-seated that fear is, how real it is, even though it's not based on fact, it doesn't matter. It's still felt and it's therefore still very, very, very real. The risk is, yes, people throw out their crockpot machines. Yes, they don't buy any more. And moving forward, as they cross by the crockpots in the department store, whether they consciously or subconsciously, whether they consciously realize it or not, their hearts drop to the pit of their stomach and they get this tense knot that makes them feel very uncomfortable, which is associated to that fear. And they quickly walk away. And we know that we purchase, research shows, like it or not, that we purchase based on emotion. So very high level, very quickly, that is the situation that Crockpot woke up to blindsidedly one morning due to a television show that they weren't even a part of. Mm -hmm. And their response was brilliant because it adhered to, so when something is going negatively viral, is it emotionally compelling? It's, you can't trump emotion with logic. So I have a crisis ready formula, which is available freely on my website. If listeners want to go and download it, that helps you overcome that emotion so that you can actually resonate with the people that you need to resonate with and not let that emotion drive and destroy your brand. And so they adhered, I have a whole, you know, article on this. They adhered to that formula, which is take your logic and wrap it in validation, validate your stakeholders' feelings, what they're feeling, their emotions, relate to what matters to them, 
and then come in with the proof. And as a very quick example, they would say things like, oh my goodness, our hearts are broken with you. We can't believe this is how Jack died. So that validated mm-hmm. what people were feeling. And then they would say, but we need you to know that your family safety has always been our top priority, has always been on the top of our list, which now relates to what matters to them. And then they would come in and say, and here is the proof. Here's the research. Here's the studies. Here's the statistics. Here's the everything you need to know to know that this would never happen to your family as a, as a result of our crackpots. And as a result of doing that, they quickly trans- transformed or switched that narrative and actually took a blindsiding situation and transformed it into a really great opportunity to connect with their generational customers and skyrocket, you know, like soar their business from there or their brand equity from there as a result. That's a phenomenal story. And in fact, I do recall somebody in my family telling me to be careful of my crock pot and really not getting where they were coming from. Um, <laughs> but, well, now you uh, know. <laughs> now I know. Now I know. The poor guy. But what it also sounds like is that they were able to really relate to their their customers and had yes. a level of preparedness in terms of how to respond to something I mean, it's amazing. It was even fictional, right? Yeah. And I think that nowadays, even more fictional things can spread very, very quickly through social media. And then our, you know, an entire company, it's not maybe the VP or, or the executive level. It's, you know, phone calls coming to somebody else that's working, just going along their day and suddenly get a call from a buddy, a family member. Hey, what's going on with your company? You know, so it seems to me that now the alert of a crisis could happen at any moment, at any level, anywhere within your company. And you talked about that a little bit at one point, you know, in terms of infusing that through your culture, how would you advise or how do you talk about pulling this throughout the entire organization? So everybody's ready from the intern that's there for a semester up to the executive level. That's where it goes to the cultural piece. And there's a process. So over my years of advising and working with organizations across nearly every industry and sector around the world, I've developed what I call the crisis ready model, which is a precise framework that takes you through. I don't, it doesn't matter where you currently sit on the spectrum of crisis readiness. This framework takes you through straight through to implementing that crisis ready culture. And there's five specific phases and then there's work to do within each phase, but there's a precise framework to help you get there. If you're committed and willing to do the work, and one of the things that you need to achieve in order to do that is gaining buy-in and support from leadership because culture is led from the top down and then supported from the bottom up. And so it needs to be it needs to be a cross-cultural or a cross-organizational initiative that is supported and led by leadership. Great. Yes. So you have developed the framework that you're providing to your clients or that you're sharing in speeches, that sort of thing? Um, so the framework, well, it's the foundation of my book. So Crisis Ready, Building an Invincible Brand in an Uncertain World is my book. Um, the framework and the book are being taught in universities around the world, including at Harvard, by Homeland Security, at the Pentagon, and a bunch of other different places. And then, yes, through my, my consulting, through my coaching, and actually in early 2020, I'm launching the Crisis Ready Institute, which is going to certify professionals in becoming crisis ready certified, walk you through the process, help coach you through the process, guide you through the process of implementing this crisis ready culture. And then at the same time, for those who go through the motions of it, 
through the Institute, you now become crisis ready certified. And that is an, a skill set that leadership is starting that um, research and study shows that leadership is really starting to value and see the competitive edge and the, and the, um, the advantages and the benefits of. So providing professionals with that skill set so they can now use that within their careers. Very cool. That's exciting. It is so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) So you know what? We are actually out of time, unfortunately. I know that we could talk a lot more about this, but as we bring this to a close, I'd love it if you could share top tips that you'd offer to companies that are looking to prioritize crisis management for for 2020. Gain some buy-in. If you sit on the C-suite or if you don't, it doesn't matter. Just get buy-in, start having those conversations internally, look at where you currently sit on the, on the spectrum of crisis readiness. So what is your culture? What is the mindset? How is that led? How is that rewarded? How do you currently respond to issues that are a factor of everyday business? How can that improve? Just kind of grasp where you get a feel for where you currently sit, gain that buy-in and then educate yourselves on what's involved. So in order to do that, you could read the book, go to melissaagnes.com and kind of get a grasp on the different phases of crisis readiness and what you'd have to prioritize in 2020. You can also reach out to me, melissa at melissaagnes.com. And I'd be happy to kind of just walk you through that motion, give you a snapshot of, of what's entailed because it is not as cumbersome and complicated as it probably seems. However, it does take resources. It does take time. It does take commitment and it does Mm -hmm. take leadership. But the rewards are so much more than just crisis and issue management. We're talking about competitive edge. We're talking about a stronger culture. We're talking about less silos internally. We're talking about deeper connection with stakeholders, every single stakeholder on every single front. It goes to your marketing, it goes to your sales, it goes to your operations, it goes to all of it. So yeah, so it's definitely worth something It's definitely something worth considering for 2020, educating yourself on, and then putting together a roadmap of what that might look like for you. You could do it incrementally. You could do it. It's just a matter of starting to do it. Yep. Yep. Well, and even starting to recognize that you need a plan or that you've got to take the plan that's been sitting on your shelf and update it a bit, right? To align with today's environment. Yes. At the end of the day. Yeah, Yeah. A program. Yeah. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, I feel like our program is way too short and this is a very juicy topic that I think our listeners will get a lot out of. Thank you. As always, a huge thank you to our listeners. I'm your host, Roan Morgan, and you can find me on LinkedIn by looking up Demand Lab or visiting our resource center on the Demand Lab website. That's demandlab.com backslash resources. Again, thank you all for joining us today and I wish you a happy new year and we'll be back with you next month. You've been listening to another episode of SLMA Radio. This week's show, Demand Lab. Tune in to hear all of them. Right here in the Funnel Radio Network, we're at work listeners like you.